Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. Support comes from Big Y, world-class market celebrating 80 years of service to New England families. Big Y's commitment includes support of WNPR and the Faith Middleton Fuchmoose. If you like to eat, drink, and be merry, you're in the right place. Faith here with your welcome toast. It was Quentin Crisp who said, Conversation did not flow with the drink, it drowned in it. Please feel free to consume this show podcast in one bite, two bites, or oops, I ate the whole thing. I'm excited about this announcement. I've decided to lead a food and wine lovers trip to Italy the week of September 19th. And if you'd like to get on our information list to get a taste of the remarkable experiences we're going to have, I'm about to give you an email contact. The Piemonte region of Italy is spectacular to see. It's a part of Italy where they're still making the real thing when it comes to food and wine. Italians themselves travel there from other regions in the country to eat and explore the villages, architecture, museums, the vistas, the coastline, as we will. We've teamed up with a family from the Piemonte region, Connecticut business owners who created the Carlos Pasta Line. And because they know Piemonte so intimately, and I love it too, I have asked them to curate this trip with me. Wineries are going to host us. Our hotel will have a spa. There will be music and meals, including truffles and handcrafted pastas to swoon over, plus unforgettable scenery. All I can tell you is that our trips are the most fun, and the chefs and wineries know we're going to be reporting afterward on our experiences with them, so they knock themselves out for us. If you'd like to come with me and the Squatrito family for a week-long food and wine tour through the Piemonte region of Italy starting this September 19th, please add your name to our information update list at this address, jmore at cpbn.org. We'll tell you all about what we're planning as it unfolds, and if you forget that address, you can always find it posted on our site at foodschmooze.org. I hope you'll come with me. It is great to have you joining the party on the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze, the place to have a good time. All kinds of things coming your way. The most interesting meals we've had recently, a great rosé just being released, and what a bargain it is. It's rich, it's gorgeous looking in the glass. We have the cookbook Modern Jewish Cooking in honor of Passover coming. We have the Jewish Film Festival so much coming your way. My treasured food buddies are here. Senior contributors Chris Prosperi and Alex Province. Hey, everybody. Hey. hey, hey. 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 So let's hey, hey. get into it. I want to know, what is the most interesting meal that you have had in the past week? Chris? So this past Sunday, I did some grocery shopping, which is very rare for me. I'm not a grocery person, and, but I am a sucker for the sale. And in this grocery <laughs> store, I found a half a turkey, and it was just a turkey that they had split in half. Not from and, Thanksgiving. No, no. I mean, who knows? Was but it was $8. It was, it was, it was defrosted, and it was $8. So I looked at this half a turkey, and it was huge. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to take this home because I haven't had turkey since Thanksgiving. And I'm going to just do some turkey cooking. So I actually – What did you do? So it's, I know. I got a little crazy. So I started with making a turkey chili. Mm-hmm. So I cut it up into pieces. And I put some of it in a pot with water to get it going as a stock. So I deboned it and I put it all in there. Then I took the breast and I cut it into cutlets and pounded it out. 
breaded it and made turkey parmesan and turkey with ham and Swiss. And I baked it. So breaded and baked. So that was two dishes. You put a piece of ham on it? Put a piece of ham on it. And regular that, and ham, Swiss boiled cheese. ham, yeah, or just, prosciutto? Uh, just, no, just regular ham. Okay. And, and then Swiss cheese? cheese on top of half of it. And, and then half of it, it, I put tomato sauce and mozzarella and baked it. So that was, right? So oh that was two goodness. dishes. I made turkey chili. This is what I a made, chef does I, made, I know. This is crazy, right? I, I made, made a turkey chili, and then I had the thigh left over, and I cut that up, and I made a Mexican turkey-like pozole. Wow. On one day? Did you do all this I in one day? I did this not in one day. I know it's crazy. Okay. I did this no. in one day in two hours. So I'm wondering who had the other half of your turkey. Yeah, who had the other half of my turkey? What did they do with it? So this is interesting. (laughs) Right. Why does the market have one half of a turkey? So so this is interesting to me to hear how your mind works and that you want to try a whole bunch of different things. And you did it over the course of several days and then ate it. Did you freeze anything? Because that sounds like, no, you ate everything. Well, eating everything. Wow. That's fun. It's, It's the week of food. And it's so... Modest in price, turkey, especially this time of year. I love that you did that. Okay, Alex Province, how about this week for you? We made the best red beans and rice ever this past weekend on Sunday. It was so delicious. We were cleaning out our freezer, and I save all my chicken carcasses and all that sort of stuff and made a stock. So I just put it on the stove with all my vegetables from the refrigerator and then uh, got really good sausage sauteed some onions and put the stock in and then used, you know, really good Southern rice. And it was so absolutely delicious. So you boiled the rice in the... Nope, I do it separately. So I I grew up eating red beans. Where'd the stock go? Into the liquid where I cooked the red beans. So first I took my Dutch oven or my big stock pot and I sauteed my onions and garlic and green pepper and then... uh, sauteed my sausage and then put the stock in with my beans I soaked overnight let that cook slowly all day Sunday like three Why or did four you hours make this meal Matt loves it it's one the of the stuff. funniest things that Matt loves but I grew up eating my mom remember from Spain learned how to cook American food living in Jackson Mississippi so she made the best red beans and rice ever and um, for whatever reason sometimes dishes come out just perfectly this was absolutely perfect and, and you we, didn't follow a recipe you just kind of did it really. from memory out well, of your head i read a whole bunch of recipes i get sort of the the concept remind myself how to do it but it was that stock so it was yeah. all the stuff that otherwise would have gone thrown away like if i cook a friday roast chicken i save the bones it just the stock was incredible and i'll put another a vote in for stock because on sunday when i did all this turkey stuff Every dish came out so good, and I kept thinking about, like, why? Was it the turkey? Was it the – no, it was because I used that stock that I started, and as I was cooking, I just ladled it into yeah. everything that I made. And that stock is the backbone, the base. And when you say it comes out perfect, that's why it comes out perfect. When you use that homemade broth, mm-hmm. it adds a dimension so to So let food. me come back to you, Alex. When you say I save my what, – what, you're saving your chicken bones. We make Friday night chicken, and Matt and I can't eat a whole chicken, so we – Basically cut off the breasts and then put it off to the side. So roasted chicken. We roasted chicken. Yeah, sure. And then I save the carcass. Yeah. So I'll put it in a Ziploc bag and I mm-hmm. put it in a freezer. Boom. And then, you know, the, the gizzards that come on the inside, I save those sure. as well. Then um, if I have a thing of green beans and, Mac, and I can't finish the green beans, I freeze those as well. So then when it comes time, we have this freezer full of this stuff that you would otherwise throw away. And you just put it in a stock pot and start and simmering roasted it. Chicken with water. Bones and with roasting, water. And roasting your bones. So you ended up with the roasted chicken bones, right? Mm. That adds even a deeper layer of flavor because, in stock. Because what are the bones doing? Well, when, when you roast a chicken or you're – some people will just put bones in a pan to make mm-hmm. a stock and roast those in the oven. What is the, the high heat, the roasting doing to the bones? Are and, they leaching minerals? Mm-hmm. No, it does they? a couple things. But without getting technical, with them, what it really does is it intensifies the flavor. Mm-hmm. And you get some caramelization. Mm-hmm. So that adds – so those two things, I mean that just takes mm-hmm. it – like I said, it, you can make a good stock without doing that. 
that. But if you want to take it like just up one level of flavor, you roast it first, or just like Alex did, you don't have you just roast the chicken and you save those bones and you make a stock with the bones from yep. the roasted chicken that makes the most amazing stock. It does. It, it is different from what you get in a box. Mm-hmm. We have no judgments about. I buy stock all the time, right? I do too. Yeah, and I use it. I use it all the time too. If I don't have time to make stock, I'll yeah. use the canned stuff. Here's my question: Is it possible to take the bones from the freezer and dump it into the store-bought stock and make mm-hmm. that work? I mean, there's usually a lot of salt. Yeah, that's the only thing you have to watch out for. Uh huh. Okay. But I know must save your money because if you just dump those bones into water, water. You'll, with you garlic and with bay leaf, chick- bay leaf and carrot See, and, and I onion. I don't tomato. even do that anymore. What? I don't even do that anymore. I don't even. What do you do? I just throw the bones in with just water and cook it, especially if I'm going to make other things with it. How long? Oh, gosh. And this is the thing. How long? Forget about how long. I was using it as soon as it started to simmer. You I started it using it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, w- I had a little strainer set up and a ladle, and I would like making the chili. Oh, I need a little stock. So I put the ladle in the stock. I put the strainer over the chili and strained I it. I bet your house smelled so good. Oh, my God. It smells so good. Oh. Oh. But just the, like I said, An hour in, it's good. So this is one of those tricks where you just throw things in the freezer the way Alex is talking about, the way Chris did to make a backbone, and then things taste more delicious. If you don't have time, if you can't do it, if you don't want to, then, of course, you buy it off the shelf, and you can make wonderful beans and rice. But, you know, the stock we even save. So we make a big thing of stock, and then we put those into containers and freeze those. So we always have a freezer full of stock. Yeah, so listen, this is a good thing, too. If you have time when you make your roast chicken, so you've made your roast chicken, and Mm -hmm. let's just say you let it rest for a little while, and before you eat, carve the whole thing up. Yep. Right? And then instead of taking that carcass and yep. putting it in a freezer bag, take that carcass, put Makes, it in a pot of water. While you're doing and, dishes. Or while you're eating. <laughs> and let yeah. it simmer and then freeze the stock. Yep. And then the next time you make the yep. chicken and rice, you don't yep. even have to make stock. Or you anything. already have a yep. quart of stock in your freezer. Here's the thing. You don't even have to do beans and rice. You don't have to do any – if you just want to make rice or you want to make pasta, you can do it in that stock that you have in the freezer. So it absorbs and it ends up – you can use a spoonful of that frozen stock in your salad dressing, and it adds a kind of richness, yeah. backbone, yeah. to the salad dressing. Yeah. It's really fun. Here, just real quick before we go on. We always eat before the show. I made a soup today. That yeah. soup was – I took a chicken. I threw it in a pot. I threw water in it, and I boiled it. I boiled with nothing else, right? Just boiled the chicken. So and when the chicken was done and just falling off the bone about an hour and a half, I pulled the chicken out. And I had it in a, in a pan cooling on the counter, and I put the stock back on the stove. And while I was letting the chicken cool, I just chopped a bunch of vegetables and potatoes. And as I was chopping them, I was throwing them in the pot. And yeah. the stock started simmering and had all these vegetables. By the time the vegetables were almost cooked, the chicken was cool enough mm. to touch. I shredded the meat off it, threw it Yo. in the pot. I had so amazing chicken soup when it wow. was made with that fresh Very, pot. very cool. Okay, so, so so let me see. What did I do? I went to, I would say, uh, best meal of the week. I've been doing a lot of salads. and Healthy. I uh, Yeah, trying to do a lot of salads. I've been doing uh, a little protein-centric and vegetable-centric mm-hmm. Trying to stay away from carbs and flour makeup for some for the potato <laughs> chips, <laughs> the truffle potato the truffle chips. Potato that, yeah. chip. um, anyway, trying my best. So I went to uh, did a trip as you saw on Facebook, possibly out to the North Fork of Long Island, and I went to Shelter Island, which is mm. the most charming place. It's like back in time or something. So there's a restaurant out there. There are a couple ones that are just wonderful, 18 Bay and Vine Street. And so the last – it was my birthday. So on the last time, I went to uh, 18 Bay for my birthday. And this time, I decided to go to Vine Street Cafe on Shelter Island. So we drove. I was with my family. We drove all around. We saw a bunch of things. We went over to Sag Harbor. And then it was time for dinner. We go to Vine Street Cafe. This is on the North Fork of Long Island. And I had a skirt steak with a chimichurri sauce. And it happened to be snowing. <laughs> there was a little snow <laughs> out there. So I said, look, I'm having beef. I'm having a Manhattan. So I had a wonderful Manhattan with, you know, mm. brandied cherries in it. It was just terrific. 
and the skirt steak with the chimichurri, and I started with some fresh clams. Nice. So it was just wonderful. The what, whole thing was What wonderful. was the martini you put on Facebook? Oh, for that. That was leading up. That was part of the whole weekend. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was at North Fork Table, and that is in Greenport. Okay. And that's wonderful. Also, it's on the way to Shelter Island. And, and I, I, st- <laughs> I like Well, that. we did brunch <laughs> there. And, and so I had a – they do their house smoked bacon mm. vodka. They're all, <gasps> and I had a martini wow. with my lobster salad, and it was Not, really Oh, that's wonderful. good. You mm. know, on the show, I have told you how to do a bacon-infused mm. bourbon, and it makes an amazing Manhattan. So – you do it by cooking bacon, then putting the bacon aside for glorious eating at another time, and then you pour the fat from the bacon mm-hmm. on top of the bourbon that you have in a jar, and then you put the whole jar in the freezer. Of course, the fat rises to the top and freezes on the top, oh, and you right then off. and you put it in there for you know five yeah. days, let's yeah. say. Then you pull it out and you just lift the fat off, strain the liquid into a bottle or a jar, and there you've got bacon and. Bourbon. You do the same thing with vodka. I'm sure that's how the restaurant did it. These you could do it with gin. You could do it with tequila. Anything you want. That's how you infuse something. You make a bloody mary and then you garnish it with the bacon strip. Yeah, you could do the bacon infused vodka, yeah. and then use that Garnish in your Bloody shit. Mary. Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> fun, <laughs> really, really fun. Well, I love talking about the the fun part of the week in terms of food. Want to tell you about? It's on the way. The martini competition oh, yeah. is coming at, and in June. <laughs> so we want to tell you what's going on with that. Yeah. We have selected new categories for you. Yep. You're the voters when you attend this thing. So we won't tell you about that in just a second. We've got a quick break coming up. Then we're going to tell you about the martini competition. And we're going to tell you about this wine that is the newly released rosé and we love it it is an incredible bargain alex how much a bottle for this from 14 the, bucks 14 yep that is a great bargain for a very good french rosé mm-hmm. there are very expensive rosés coming out of france there are other cultures that have them too and there are dirt cheap ones maybe not quite so good this is one that is drinking like a $25 $30 bottle of rosé and it is $14 in a lot of stores in our region it's just been released And so we're going to tell you about that. Everything, of course, is on the website. More mouthwatering conversation and fun ahead on the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze. I hope you will make a charitable contribution to Feed the Hungry. We're online now at foodschmooze.org. We'll be right back. Okay, hope that first bite of the food schmooze felt like a hot biscuit with butter coming your way. Feel free to tell your food-loving friends worldwide they can enjoy the show and our online site at foodschmooze.org. Here's your second bite. Cornbread said, now that's all right. Meet me on the corner tomorrow night. We have a free podcast for you, meaning you'll never miss a drop of pleasure. Just sign up for it once at our website. And then what happens is we automatically send it to you every week so you can listen on your schedule. You can also discover our delicious curated food, wine, cocktail recommendations. We've got one coming up for you now. 
We love talking with you, so we hope you'll stop by often and say hi. We're always online at foodschmooze.org. I'm with my treasured food buddies, Chris Prosperi, chef and co-owner of Metro Beast Restaurant in Simsbury, Connecticut, and wine broker Alex Province. Here we go. The martini of From the oh, please. It's coming <laughs> soon. 84 days. 84 days. You wonder why we start this early. But we do because it is the event of the year. It is the party of the year. The hottest dancing. Everybody dances with everybody because the DJ is unbelievable. People There's are lighting. Dancing. People are dancing. <laughs> and new location. New location. I think we need Very an advent exciting. calendar to count off. We get like a little piece of chocolate for every day. <laughs> every day. I like it. It's going to be held at the new location, the Mashantucket Pequot Museum and Research Center, right next door to Foxwoods. Room for thousands. Nice. We want to break the record. We want to hit a thousand attendees. So there will be more than 30 bartenders and restaurants, and you vote on our tablets to pick the gold winner, the Fudgemus cool. Martini of the Year. Tons of publicity for the winners. Gold, silver, bronze, and we have some new categories to tell you about. Thursday, June 23rd from 6 to 9 or 9.30 in Mashantucket, Connecticut, a Foxwoods made a deal with us. They said, listen, we know what happens when you have one of these events. The hotel rooms sell out, so we're going to do discounted rooms for awesome. anybody who wants mm. to stay. Chris, I know you're doing I'm it. Going. I'm going. Okay. Yeah, I'm staying. <laughs> okay. Plus... Many people chip in for limos with all their friends. We have companies that are, this started a couple years ago, and we are thrilled, of course, because this is all a benefit for WNPR and the Food Schmooze. They started buying bulk tickets and giving them as thank yous to mm, employees sorry. for a job well done. We have a website for you. You can go to the site. It's just coming out. I think we've got tickets ready. It's CT. For Connecticut, of course. <laughs> ctmartini.org. Not com. O-R-G. ctmartini.org. We have uh, all kinds of bartenders. The Connecticut Bartenders Guild is, as Anthony would say, talking smack. People are planning <laughs> lots and lots of food for you to eat. We have a yeah. special pricing for designated drivers okay. so that they can keep your crowd safe. Dress is festive. Anything you want. We have the most fun. So, so much fun. It's a riot. <laughs> you want to hear the new categories yeah, for yeah, voting? Yeah, I'm excited. So there's gold, silver, bronze. Like always. Like always. In addition, the veggie-friendly cocktail. Mm. The best bubbly cocktail, mm. the best beer-based oh. cocktail, mm. the best <laughs> after-dinner-slash-dessert cocktail. Oh, Coffee cocktails. I like that. The best-looking cocktail because oh, some garnish. people do the most gorgeous cocktails you have ever seen. I oh, mean, it's yeah. just I unbelievable. I remember the one with the frozen flowers in it. Prasadja Numala right? oh, right. yeah. yeah. got round frozen ice cubes yeah. with these special containers. He froze them and he froze an orchid oh, in yeah. each ball of ice. It was a cocktail, but it was beautiful. And then, and then he had dry ice. Smoke was coming off. It was unbelievable. CTMartini.org. We want to see you there. I just dance, dance, dance all night long. It's so much fun. All right, let's go to the new rosés coming out now. And we have a beauty, thanks to wine broker Alex Province, and right, from his you. line. Tell us about this. I love, love, love rosé. It reminds me of being on a beach in south of France. And, oh, yeah. right. so chic. And everybody <laughs> is starting to get into rosés yeah. and realizing how, how much they go with so many kinds of foods. So right? for us, it's a race to get the 2015. So you always want the freshest vintage. So right now, this is 2015. And, you know, they're all, all the boats are bringing French rosé to the U.S. And this is my 
my first one of the year. And we just had this with what Chris was cooking, oh, a gorgeous so duck egg omelet with goat cheese and, and uh, oh, those greens. Duck and and yeah, incredible. Runs. I want to talk about oh. This goes with everything. I and love this so wine. And it's so good with the omelet, right? Yeah. And we have this online listed at foodschmooze.org. This is an incredible bargain for around $14. Alex, tell us about So south rosés. of France is where a lot of rosé comes from. You know, it's interesting because a lot of the grape varietals are actually Spanish. So it's Grenache and Mouvedra and Syrah and Sanso. They taste like white wine, more or less, if you were blindfolded, mm. but with a little more structure, a little more creaminess. So when you look at it, though, it's it's like rose petal. The, the color is so rose beautiful. Petal. And then you smell it and you get strawberries. And there's a, a tad of a spicy note, almost mm. like a black pepper. And then on the Thank palate, you. it's just rich and creamy. We have a bottle of rosé every day on vacation with like a duck salad or, you know, swimming on the beach. So I have I have so. had a rosé with every course mm-hmm. from fish to yeah. meat. Yeah. It's with everything. It just goes with Real everything. Steak. And it's Pepper gorgeous in the glass. steak. Anything. anything. It really can hold up to just about anything. Yeah. It has more structure than white wine and good acidity. The bottles are oftentimes clear because you want to see how sexy the rosé you know, is. And 2015 was a hot, dry year. So that's good for these basically Spanish uh, varietals that love that sort of heat. You mentioned it when you tasted this vintage that it was richer than you remember from last year. That's right. This is a richer year. Bigger, more flavorful year. Yeah. So you're going to feel more than ever that this can go from a vinaigrette to a piece of steak Mm. or a piece of duck. You know, I mean, you can do things on the grill. It's just Or a beach towel. A a beach (laughs) towel, a hamburger, a walking around the patio wine, a sitting in a chair with your friends. Being it, out on the terrace of a restaurant, everyone has a you know glistening bottle of rosé. You know and how pizza blast. is the universal food. No one knows what to do. Go for pizza. This is the universal wine, and this is a particularly good one. Alex, so this is from the Rhone region. Mm-hmm. South of France, right on the Rhone River. From a small farm, um, a small vineyard, they actually grow a lot of fruits as well. And they have a tiny little production of rosé. If you're looking for rosé, south of France is great. Spain is great. Italians make some wonderful ones. California, of course. This one's from the Rhone region, and it's Clos de Lumiere. We have a picture of the label on our site, foodschmooze.org. You need to know that it's around $14 a bottle, and that this is the 2015. You want to make sure you get the 2015 Wine shops get asked so many by so many people, you know, just saying, oh, it's in a clear bottle isn't all that helpful. <laughs> so if you call ahead of time or go in, you know, you can just read them or show them the label and they'll go through their little beverage journal and they'll figure out how to get it and they'll get it for you the next day. Absolutely love it. It went with everything we just had. We did duck eggs, but you could even just do duck, a nice duck salad. Vinaigrette. Mm. That's why when you go to the south of France, you see people having absolutely everything and everybody's glasses filled with these rosés, and they're just... In New York, too, right? Now, if you see everyone in New York, I mean, it's all All the outdoor cafes are having them. You'll see them in the restaurants more and more. It has caught on here as a thing. um, It's my summer wine. Me, too. I do it both flat like this and sparkling. sparkling. That's my go-to thing. Oh, sparkling champagne is pretty good, too. The rosé. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) It's very good. All right. So we're turning you on to rosés. All the information you need about this one, a real bargain, this year in particular, very, very good. So Claude de Lumiere, and that is sort of vineyard of light is what that translates into. Gorgeous in the glass. Foodschmooze.org. Thank you, Alex. Coming up in our next segment, we have the, because Passover is coming, and I feel like at these various holidays in different cultures, we're either all Irish or Italian (laughs) or Puerto Rican or Jewish in this case. So we have that in our next segment, which Mm -hmm. is modern Jewish cooking. Right now, to get you ready for that, this is the way it is with film, too. We go to Italian films and Spanish films and films from around the world. The 20th Mandel JCC Hartford Jewish Film Festival, Rock and Reel is the theme this year, mm. is on. And there are food movies. I adore this festival. So every year I chat with my buddy. We have Harriet Dobbin here. Harriet, welcome to the Food Schmooze. 
Thank you very much. I'm very excited to be with you all today. Me too. So the festival lasts from the end of March through April 10th, and it is spread around the city of Hartford and West Hartford. Harriet, I'm especially intrigued with the food movies this year. We are just delighted, and I should say we're very high on our films this year because our first food movie is really the first adult Jewish stoner comedy. And it's called <laughs> stoner <Dough>. comedy? <laughs> yes, a stoner comedy. It's called Doe, and it's a cross-cultural comedy with very famous actor Jonathan Price, who mm-hmm. portrays a Jewish baker who is having a little bit of a tough time in his business, and he hires a Muslim apprentice who, unbeknownst to him, sprinkles a little marijuana in the holodough. <laughs> to all kinds of complications, and it's an absolutely delightful film. It's called Dough, and we're showing that twice, and that's sort of going to so get us Well, on. yeah. <laughs> start. It's just a riot of an idea. The director is John Goldschmidt, and by the way, it's in English, so yes, uh, for people who don't like to do subtitles, if you go to our website, you will see the link to the Hartford Jewish Film Festival. So just go to foodschmooze.org. Isn't Wonderful. our name appropriate at this time of year? <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. We love schmoozing with you, and what's better than 400 people who are going to be coming together on our other food film to schmooze and eat? Yes. <laughs> to schmooze me, and eat? Wait till you hear this. This one is really, I mean, that one is a riot and interesting. This is exciting. Tell me about it, Harriet. Well, we found this film called In Search of Israeli Cuisine. Those of you who are familiar with Philadelphia food scene know Mm. that Michael Solomonov and his partner have created this incredible network of restaurants. The main one is called Zahab, and it specializes Middle Eastern and Israeli cuisine. Well, Roger Sherman is a very well-known filmmaker, and he and Michael teamed up to create this fantastic film where they literally take a culinary tour of Israel, on film and discover this incredible scene of food and foodies and bakers and wineries and incredible flavors that are coming from all over the world and they're in Israel. So we're showing that film. Michael is coming up to Hartford to sign his wonderful cookbook called Zahav, A World of Israeli Cooking. Roger Sherman will be with us. And best of all, we're feeding 400 people from the best recipes from his cookbook at the Mandel JCC. Is that, on that is totally <laughs> cool. That's April. So, so let me just tell you, in this film, when he takes this tour, you're seeing what makes up Israel today. We're talking about Jewish, Arab, Muslim, Christian, and Druze. We're going to be talking about this mixture of cultures mm. in every country and how it just trans. This is why food keeps yeah. changing Dynamic. Um, You know, not only do you get a tour of Israel with this film, right, Harriet, but I have had some Israeli wines that have blown me away. And they're kosher, they're very high-end, gorgeous wines. I'm very fascinated with Israeli cooking. It is really... We see what happened with Otolenghi, and uh, incredible. I really am so excited about this. We actually have the New England premiere of this film. This is the first time it's going to be shown anywhere in New England. Uh, Roger and Michael made a special gold star, this one, on their calendar to come up, and we've been selling the cookbooks. We'll have them here. He will be signing them. He just got nominated for a 2016 James Beard Foundation Book Award for International Cookbooks, and Mike was also named a finalist for the 2016 James Beard Outstanding Chef Award. So there's yeah. a lot of great things happening. They're opening up in Chelsea Market any day now. Yes. Another restaurant called Diesinghoff. And right. we're just so excited. This event is selling out. We are probably down to less than 60 tickets left for this event. We're very excited. <laughs> um, well, those are going to go in about two minutes. <laughs> 400 people, Israeli food at a Jewish film festival with the chef and the filmmaker there. Oh, you are the best. Harriet Dobbin, my dear friend, and a principal, just the reigning diva of the 20th Mandel JCC Hartford Jewish Film Fest. If you go to our website, we will send you right to them at foodschmooze.org. Harriet, I got to tell you, a man wrote to me and he said, you're mispronouncing schmooze. And I said, what? (laughs) And... I called him up and he said, listen to me, it's not schmooze, it's schmooze. I said, sir, 
I cannot say food schmuz. <laughs> Even if it is that way. I said, I don't think so. If he said, no, I am telling you, I speak Yiddish. Okay, you need to settle this for us. Uh, it's definitely food schmuz. <laughs> Maybe in another culture or another era or another century, he pronounced it another way. But we're very comfortable. However you say it, just spell our name right. I know. That's where I come from. <laughs> i at the festival. The Hartford <laughs> Jewish Film Festival. We just, it, this is an awesome festival. 22 films, 10 days, 8 countries, and 7 venues. It mm. is awesome, this thing. Thank you so much, Harriet Dobbin. Great to be with you, and we'll see you all at the festival. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm going to look this up on Google. Hold what? On. What are you looking? How did it pronounce? Schmooze. Schmooze. There it is. Uh, That's there, straight from, well, Google. That's from Google. That's the authority Who there. Knows better? <laughs> <laughs> Just like the Yiddish department at Google. <laughs> we should use that from now on. Welcome to the food. Schmooze. <laughs> I like it. Oh, boy. Um, by the way, coming up in our next segment, we have Leah Koenig, who has done a book called Modern Jewish Cooking. And I don't care what culture you are from, religion, whatever. There are some great recipes in here coming up in our next segment. We love the locals. Please support your local food growers and food makers. For on-demand podcast delivery of the Food Schmooze Party every week, and to find terrific food, wine, cocktail, restaurants, hot topics, our short, fun streaming videos, and recipes we feature, we're always online talking with you at foodschmooze.org. We have one more mouth-watering bite of the Fuchmoos coming up. Here's something great to know about. Sign up for the app called NPR One. Just download it from the iPhone App Store or your Android device. And once you do, you can set WNPR as your local station. Couldn't be easier. Download the free app NPR One and start listening. Let's party on more Fuchmoos. This is the Fuchmoose Party, offering the richness of life and coming to you in Connecticut, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, and New York, including Westchester County, the east end of Long Island, of course, the Hamptons. The senior producer is Robin Doyen Aiken, and to hear the show, we love her. To hear the show on WNPR, it airs Thursdays at 3 and Saturdays at noon. Podcasts and our curated recommendations, as you probably know, are always online at foodschmooze.org. You spell schmooze like school, S-C-H, foodschmooze.org. Of course, we want you to talk with us on Facebook. When it comes to food and culture, everybody's Irish on St. Patrick's Day, Puerto Rican when the homemade Coquito drink comes out in January, and everybody's Jewish on Passover or Rosh Hashanah. I start craving fork tender brisket, potato pancakes, the carrot simis. Well, we're about to celebrate Passover, so we have what will no doubt be mouth-watering conversation with the author of Modern Jewish Cooking, the classics or new wave Jewish cooking. Around here, we love tradition and we love what's new. We have the author of the book, Leah Koenig, who's here, and you probably have seen her name in so many of your most loved publications. She's an authority on Jewish cooking. Welcome to the Food Schmooze Party, Leah. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, it's great to have you here especially. So we wanted to start with something that is so popular with so many people, Jewish, not Jewish, blintzes. I love this take of yours, doing orange-scented cheese blintzes. Can I just run down the ingredients? You make a batter for the blintzes of either milk or almond milk, 
eggs, sugar, all-purpose flour, vanilla extract, and salt, and then that filling of ricotta. You can use low-fat or full-fat confectioner's sugar, orange zest, a little bit of butter for frying. That's the part we love. <laughs> Maybe some fresh berries on top, some sour cream. Tell us about this recipe. Sure. Um, well, blintzes are one of my absolute favorite Eastern European-inspired Jewish dishes. You know, just for folks who aren't familiar, they're, I basically think of them as a crepe that's filled with either you can go savory with mashed potato or you can kind of go sweet with fruit. And one of the more common ones is uh, cheese-filled blintzes. So mm-hmm. you're not thinking like fontina or cheddar. You're thinking more like a cottage cheese or a farmer's cheese filling traditionally. Now, um, why is that? Do you want the flavor to be neutral, or that's what was around? Probably back in Eastern Europe, they used a lot of farmer's cheese, and mm-hmm. that's what was available. It also has, like you said, a really mild flavor that pairs really well when they're pan-fried and pairs also really well with fruit, mm-hmm. like a fruit topping. So, you know, mm-hmm. what I tried to do is take the traditional dish and update it for today's taste by adding some orange zest and some flavors that kind of brighten it and make it a little bit more contemporary. Yeah, um, I love the orange zest touch in this. This, That's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Thanks. Yeah. What we have here, I love this recipe in particular because first I love blintzes. Mm -hmm. And with a little bit of a slight crisp on the outside and then that yummy texture, that velvety inside. But we can see from other cultures that all of them blend together. So We have, in France, we have the orange peel hanging above the stove Mm. to put orange zest in so many stews. We Mm. have the Italian influence. You think about the communities in Italy that were Jewish-Italian. There is so much intermixing of cultures here. And then a lot of Jews moved to the Lower East Side, right, Leah? And Then it was, it became a cheese that was available. If you couldn't get farmer's cheese from the Italian neighborhood, you got cottage cheese. True, yeah. One of the things I love about Jewish cuisine in general is that it's actually a very global cuisine. A lot of people think of it as being specifically Eastern European food, which is true to an extent because a lot of Jews, especially Jews who moved to America, have that background. But, you know, there's Jews all over the world, everywhere from China to Mexico to uh, South Africa, and you know they all have food traditions that go back, in many cases, thousands of years. So, you know, when you're talking about Jewish cuisine, it's really fun to kind of explore the global aspects of it. There are things in these cultures, no matter what the culture is, that are really kind of shocking to the palate for other people outside the culture. I'm thinking about Marmite in England, mm. you know, in Britain, where you just go, wow, what is that? And you have to get used to it. But if you grew up with it, there are other things that have stuck around so long because they're just good. And I think blintzes are one of those things. Right, Leah? I think so, too. I do want to say these particular blintzes are not uh, Passover is coming up, and they're not a Passover-friendly recipe, but they are following holiday after Passover. It's called Shavuot, and it's mm-hmm. a very dairy-focused holiday, so yep. we can talk about it on another show. So it's actually a very good a recipe for um, a springtime holiday that's coming up. Good thought. Okay, let's go into something that is very well known as Passover arrives, and that is the matzo ball. And there is so much, just like the meatball, there are family recipes, there are people who add this and that, one to make it lighter, another one who's doing a gourmet treatment, another one who's who does it because this is the way my family did it. And you have a parsley matzo ball recipe. Yeah, you know, matzo balls are just one of those quintessential dishes um, or parts of a dish that you, you eat them, obviously, in, in chicken soup that people get really particular about. You know, you want it to taste just like your grandmother made it or your mother or father made it. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to kind of stray too far from the original classic, A, because it's delicious as it is, and B, because people really want the tradition. So what I try to do with my matzo balls is to just tweak them just a tiny bit to add a little bit of freshness. The one one recipe that you mentioned, it's a basic matzo ball that just gets amped up and brightened up with a shock of green parsley, which really isn't so crazy to do because mm-hmm. um, parsley is usually part of the soup. But I have another recipe in there for a, a jalapeno and shallot matzo ball. That, yeah. that one's a little, nice. bit, a little bit wilder. Um, I love it. 
takes the traditional masa bowl and just infuses it with a little bit of spice and a little bit of that caramelized shallot flavor. So it sounds crazy, but it actually tastes well within the, the realm of tradition, but with just a little bit of a twist. Oh, so. we mm. love it. I was going to bring that up. There, these are on facing pages in the book, which is called Modern Jewish Cooking. The author is with us, Leah Koenig. Some of the recipes we've been talking about are on our website at foodschmooze.org. When you say modern Jewish cooking, when you say I'm updating or putting a spin, you know, what's your philosophy about how to do that? Sure. I mean, it's, it's a good question, and I think it's a question that every generation of Jewish cooks kind of have to answer for themselves because, you know, the how we eat is sort of always evolving. But for me, what it means is really having an eye to seasonal flavors and, you know, local and, and seasonal ingredients. And then also, as you were talking about earlier on the show, blending cultures within a cuisine. Jewish tradition has so many cultures contributing to the larger canon of the cuisine, but also just reaching outside of the Jewish world and saying, what's around us? You know, what's inspiring and how can we play in a fun way with flavor? That to me is what modern means. It's new and interesting flavors and a sense of seasonality. Well, we have here a Moroccan chicken with preserved lemons, mm. and everyone here in this Ooh, room, we are nuts about preserved lemons. And so this would be a dish for Moroccan Jews on Shabbos, right, and Yom Kippur? Yeah, it would be definitely a dish that you would see on the Sabbath table. Preserved lemons are a hugely popular ingredient throughout North Africa and, and the Middle East. They found their way into um, Israeli cooking via those channels, and chicken is kind of the quintessential Shabbat dish. In Eastern European cuisine, you'd have a basic roast chicken, and this for me was a way of looking to the Moroccan and Moroccan Jewish tradition and saying, you know, how can we find new ways to do things that make them a little more interesting than what we've had growing up? And I'm talking about we with my own background being Eastern European. And we're fully aware on the show because we love both, no matter what the holiday, what the culture, we love tradition and we love what's new mm-hmm. and how things change. And so we respect you if you say, I want to make it the way my family made it. That's important too. And then we love people who are doing what Leah's doing, saying, how can I update this a little bit, put a twist in this that makes it a little more interesting? Mm -hmm. In the end, as long as it's good, as long as it's about memory. I will say, Leah, that when I went to France leading a food trip for our listeners, one of my guides, a Frenchman who has taught me so much about French wine, said to me, when I gave him the restaurant menus, he said, I think you should say to the chefs, we want you to cook what your mother made. Mm. We did that. And he said, you will experience France in a way that nobody does anymore. So there's a great debate about things changing in all these cultures. No doubt some of the people doing the innovative things like Ferran Adria in Spain, it's like fabulous and exciting and interesting. And then we have the traditionalists. So I love this interplay, the borrowing Food's always changing, right, Leah? Exactly. That's, I think that's the exact right point is that tradition is, is wonderful and we can't forget it because it's the foundation of everything. But we'd be wrong to say that food is not ever evolving. Even, even what our mothers cooked, our grandmothers, our great-grandmothers cooked, they were influenced by the world around them. Mm. Um, so to the extent that our world changes and we change, I think food is an honest reflection of who we are in a given time. I think tweaking and changing sounds maybe like an interesting thing to do, but it's actually just a very natural thing to do. Um, So as long as you kind of have your heart in the right place of wanting to Mm. honor the past and honor the traditional, I think you have a very solid foundation to play. I like Um, the idea of the latkes. Some people have applesauce with it, depending on where they're from, and some people have sour cream with it, right? And that just mm -hmm. shows you one dish in the Jewish culture that from two different areas is done two different ways. And then I go into a restaurant in New York, La Tanzi, which specializes in Roman Jewish cooking. I learn Mm -hmm. all about, from that restaurant, the inter section of Jewish and Italian cuisine, and it's a whole other ball game, and it's fabulous. So it it is. Is there Abu Danza? (laughs) 
<laughs> in a way, there certainly is. Okay, so I think Italians and Jews certainly always afraid, and Scots, I'm Scotch, is always afraid that there is not enough on the table. You know, so um, so you have a lasagna. You know, you'll find that a lot of the recipes in this book, Modern Jewish Cooking, are gluten free. Spinach matzo lasagna, um, not yeah. this one, not, but but go ahead. Yes, spinach matzo lasagna is definitely not gluten-free unless you use a gluten-free matzo, but it is a twist on lasagna, which, you know, obviously everybody loves hot, cheesy casserole with noodles. How can you go wrong? Um, But when you're talking about Passover, there's so many things you can't eat and so many things that you're sort of missing and craving that people have found ways to kind of make things that are reminiscent of some of those foods. So in the last maybe 10 or 15 years, masa lasagna has come up as a very popular either weeknight dish or um, holiday post-seder lunch dish where you replace the noodles with softened masa. And I have to tell you, I make this year-round because you actually can't tell. Like, you can tell that it's not noodles, but it is delicious. Mm. Um, and so it's a little that's bit an lighter awesome idea. Cool Isn't it a cool idea? So you just take so, the matzah and put it on as the layer. Yeah. So, yeah. so let me ask, essentially these are the same things. We're talking about flour and water, sometimes egg. Why is matzah different in terms of its deliciousness from regular noodles? You know, it's got a, a little bit of a lighter quality than the noodles. You know how when you eat lasagna and it's delicious, but you end up feeling like a little bit like you have a brick in your stomach? Mm-hmm. Um, so this just lightens it up just enough so the cheese and the vegetables, the spinach and the sauce kind of shine through without the, you know, it's still obviously a carbohydrate base, but it's not quite such a heavy one. I just find that extra lightness to be a really nice, nice touch. We have this recipe on our website. Website for the spinach matzo lasagna. And Leah Koenig, I'm someone who thinks a lot about the texture in my mouth. So I like that crispy thing going on somehow. Mm. Would, you, would it be okay if in the end I crumbled up a little matzo on the top so I had a little bit of crispy, crunchy stuff going on? Um, I don't know that I would do that because the reason the matzo works so well in lasagna is because it soaks up the flavor. And if you had mm. the plain matzo on top, I think it wouldn't have the right flavor. But what I would do is, you know how you can um, cook Parmesan on a baking sheet till mm. it gets kind of crunchy? I might make a few Parmesan crunchy crumbles and crumble that. Oh, now you're talking. That's much better than my idea. Well, wait. What about cooking the matzah in chicken fat and then sprinkling it on top? Oh, that's good. Now you're talking. Now you're talking our language. You know what? Honestly, you couldn't do that if you were serving a kosher meal because there's cheese in the in the lasagna. Right. That's right. You can't mix cheese and uh, meat. But if that's not a concern, then then have at it. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Oh, Oh, you could also you could also fry up some shallots or fry up something kind Ooh, of like that onions oh, yeah. <gasps> love that I, idea. I got my juices flowing. I want to <laughs> <laughs> I I go to, We need to all go to the kitchen immediately. Um, let's go to the dessert category because here is something that is, in fact, gluten-free, and that would be the chocolate almond meringues. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've never made meringue because I'm not a baker. I'm always afraid of baking. I'm going to ruin things. So really it's egg whites and cream of tartar, confectioner's sugar and regular sugar, bittersweet baking chocolate, and roasted unsalted almonds that you chop up fine. So how hard is it to make the meringue? You know, my mom made meringues every single Passover. So, you know, I grew up watching her make them, but never actually trying it. And when I first tried it five or six years ago, I was a little nervous to make them, partly because she had made them so deliciously and how can you live up to that? But I was surprised at how not difficult it was. The real trick to meringues is you want to beat the egg whites. You want everything to be really cold and you want to beat it until it has the the right peaks to it so that it'll hold its shape when you bake it. Mm. Um, But from there, you just, you pipe it on the baking sheet and... And you bake it at a really low temperature, so it's it more, instead of cooking, it more dries out. It almost dehydrates. And you're left with this sort of crackly outside and very melty, chewy inside. Um, like that are, contrast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> meringues are really worth um, learning how to do. They're delicious. I know. I, I try to walk you through how to do it in the well, book. When I go to a meal at Passover, I will offer to bring dessert, and so I'm out buying the meringues. So I have to mm-hmm. see if I'm brave enough to do this. Recipes and the cookbook online at foodschmooze.org. Leah Koenig, great guest. Thank you so much for being with us, and I hope we talk to you again. 
great. Thanks so much for having me. Okay, her book, Modern Jewish Cooking. We're on WNPR Thursdays at 3 and Saturdays at noon. Weekdays, listen for my 60-second food schmoozes. Join the conversation with us. We're always up for a good time online. Foodschmooze.org. In New Haven, I'm Faith Middleton. Everybody eats when they come to This is the place to enjoy the richness of life. Sharing our local and national discoveries with you makes me want to get up in the morning. The gang and I hope you'll come back soon and often.